Joshua 13. Now Joshua is old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains. All the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites, from the Sehor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron, it is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelod, Gath, and Ekron, and those of the Avaim. In the south, all the land of the Canaanites and the Merah, which belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the Gabalites and all of Lebanon toward the sunrise from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon to Lebo Hamath, and all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Mishrafeth Maim, even all the Sidonians, and I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now, therefore, divide this land from an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. With the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them from Arior, which is in the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and the city that is in the middle of the valley, and all the tableland of Medaba as far as Debon, and all the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon as far as the boundary of the Ammonites and Gilead and the region of the Geshurites and the Machathites and all the Mount Hermon and all of Bashan to Selica and all the kingdom of Og and Bashan who reigned in Ashtaroth and in Edri, he alone was left of the remnant of the Rephaim that Moses had struck and driven out. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Machathites, but Geshur and Machab dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. And to the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offering by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, I, I love when Scripture um, starts out with a statement sort of like this. Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. This is the word of God to Joshua. You're old. You're, you're getting near death, which, you know, maybe, maybe not the most uplifting, inspiring word he was wanting to hear. But one of the things that goes on with that is Hebrew literature is um, there's the narrative which tells you what is, and then there's um, the word of person who speaks. And if they repeat what the narration has said, it's a signal that they're speaking the truth. Um, and so if you read and they say this, the narrative says this is the thing, but someone says something that's a little different, you know they're lying. And so the truth was Joshua's old. He's about to die. And so God is making preparations uh, for this old man to let him know the land is not going to be conquered in your lifetime. The promise is not going to be filled in your lifetime, but here's who gets what. And he starts distributing the land. And we go then for a list of names that most of us have no clue uh, where they are. Some of you think these are Star Wars characters. I mean, these are names we're just not at all familiar with. 
And it's just a long list. And matter of fact, a lot of the rest of Joshua is boundary lines through landscape that we have no clue. I mean, you know, most of us don't think of. Um, uh, that you can, you can trace out on maps. There's places where we know these places, but we don't know these places. We, we don't know where these are. It would be like if, if someone moved here um, all of a sudden from, you know, the, the West Coast, and you start telling them how to get to Shake Rag. You know, it's just they don't know where that is or what that means. Um, and so that's kind of where we are. And I think because of that, we tend to just kind of blur over this list of names. And by the way, uh, whoever was supposed to have read Scripture this Sunday, and um, I, I decided to take the hit for you so you didn't have to read these names, I'll, I'll let you know later. You can pay me back. But, but here's, here's this list of names that we read, and here is the big picture, the big picture of, of chapter after chapter after chapter of all the excitement as if we were to go to the register of deeds and start reading boundaries. God is faithful. God has done what he said he's going to do. God promised them this land, and now he's giving it to them. Hundreds of years earlier, Abraham came out of Ur in the Chaldees, not knowing where he was going. And God says, you're walking through this land, and I'm going to give you this land. Trust me. Abraham wavered in his faith. Abraham wavered in trusting, but God was still faithful. Didn't seem like it was ever going to happen. It was forever before a child was even born. It's not going to happen. God is faithful. The people are taken into Egypt. How are they ever going to escape? God is faithful. And it's generations after generation, is he going to keep his promise? Is he going to do what he said? And now they've crossed over and they've conquered and they're starting to divide the land and is saying, okay, y'all get this, y'all get this. This is your land. This is your land. We're here. It's real. And, And the big message we hear is God keeps his promises. And the promises that God has made to you that his spirit will give us a peace that this world cannot give, that your sins are redeemed and forgiven through Jesus Christ, that you are made his own and you are part of his family, God keeps his promises. And so no matter how much you struggle and you're dealing with things that just seem to weigh on you and wake you up in the middle of the night, you can know the God who gave this land is the same God who has made promises to you and will give you peace. And when your conscience is telling you, after the things I do, can God really forgive me? I mean, God can forgive that person across the pew because they're a pretty good person. But my heart, I don't know if God can really do that. God keeps his promises. And, and bringing you to rest and bringing you to eternal life and bringing perfect peace is the promise he made, and we look around the world and we see how is that ever take place in this kind of mess? God keeps his promises. So if the, if the names were about to put you to sleep, if you doze off now, you've gotten the big picture message. But one of the things I love about these sort of passages and those genealogies of names that we stumble over is 
they point out the absolute specifics and particularities of our God. What I mean is this. We read this, and, and they, the names just kind of flow through us, and they have no meaning. But there's, a, there's this understanding that God has acted in history. It's not once upon a time. It's not kind of humanity in general. It's not some generic, vague, misty promise. But God deals with people with real names and real families and real events in their life and real locations and real places. This is a God who is redeeming, and it's not just kind of a, um, a vague myth that you can kind of read your own story into and make it what you want. It was a man named Abraham and a wife named Sarah, and they were in a real place. And we have a record of the locations they went and the rec- record of their children and their children's children. And th- one of the things we, we see throughout Scripture is it, it's not never, never land. It's, it's not long ago in a galaxy far away. It's in the events are time. It's, it's in the year of when Pontius Pilate reigned. It was in the year when King Uzziah was reigning. It was after Joshua was old and advanced in years. It was a specific time. It was with specific people, and we read these names of the tribes and the Reubenites and the Rephaimites, and and because we're not as familiar with them as we are the Kardashians or um, you know any other name that you might be familiar with. I was yeah, that'd been helpful if Keelan was there to tell me if that's a cringe thing or not, but. Maggie, maybe you can sit in for us sometime with that. So all these names that we don't know about, we just kind of, we make them vague, but they're really specific. They're real people. And, and God is working out redemption in these real lives and real people and real places, and he's still doing it. I mean, we, we read the story of Jesus, and we hear the names of, uh, of people, um, you know, who carry up the, the cross, and we're like, who is Rufus? Uh, you know, we never hear of Rufus later. They knew Rufus, and there really was a guy named Rufus. And, and we hear of these names of greetings at the end of Romans, and we have no idea who they are, but they knew. You know, they, they would have said, that's the guy who always brought this to the potluck. This is, this is the person who lives over there and has a real life. They knew who that was, and he's still doing it here because redemption is taking place in the lives of real people and real stories in a real place. What I love about that is that means everything you do is significant. That means this place is critical in God's story of bringing his kingdom about. And it means you and your family and what you're doing on any random Tuesday afternoon is part of God's work in bringing about his kingdom and bringing you into his family. And it's hard for us to think about it. It's it's easy for us to stay vague, but the way that that means is every decision and and every person you encounter, we we can't just look at and say, well, the the really important stuff happens in Washington, D.C. and New York and L.A. Gospel work, kingdom of God work, is taking place in Covington and in Atoka and in Brownsville and all around us 
God is at work. And there's a sense in which maybe the story will be told one day in heaven when he's given the directions and you would read of, of the distribution of, of uh, God's kingdom and it starts including the highways around us and the Hatchie River and who we are and where we are. Your life is part of this. And one of the things that means is when we have commands to love our neighbor, to love our brother and sister, you know, it's really easy to love people in general. When you start putting names on it and real problems and real issues, it starts to get difficult. I mean, I, I, it's very easy for me to think of loving my neighbor. But if my neighbor has, um, well, given Catherine moving next door, it's really messed this up. So, <laughs> hmm. Hypothetically, your neighbor <laughs> was, you know, really annoying. You know, hypothetically, that, and they had a real name. It would be so much easier to just kind of love people in general, give a check to people in general. But to get over actually to someone boring to talk to, always complaining, have a different political view, have, a, have things in their background that make life really difficult, to love real people with real issues, that's when it gets difficult because we can think of loving neighbor in general but when we think of real people with real problems, it becomes something that, that we have to work towards. And, and, and the same with loving our community. You know, it's easy to talk about loving community and being for the community really general, but when we look at our specific problems and we're disagreeing with people and we have different stance on things, to truly love and to truly serve our problems I have so many people who want to serve problems that Covington doesn't have and ignore the problems we do have. I have so many people who kind of think about ways we can reach out to other things and solve other issues rather than looking across town to our neighbors to see where to serve. God's work is specific. It's all these names and all of our names and all of our place and where we are is part of this redemption. But even here, we see they don't enter in to the promise. The promise was fulfilled. The promise was given to them, and yet they never took the fullness of what God had given, and they never fully ran those out that God had said to run out. They never fully accepted the promise. And there, there's something about this promise that is even as wonderful as it is and even as great as it is to give this promised land to the people, it is temporal, it's not the fullness of what it's pointing to. The, the, the promise is fully shown to us in the promise of rest and having a home. And that's what we have in Jesus Christ. And, and so there, there's a sense of which even here, they're never fully there as long as they possess the land because the land is still saying there's a rest that waits for you. There, there's a place that waits for you. You're never fully home here. You're, you're waiting for your, your true home, your true place, your true rest, and that is Christ. That is, that is eternal life that is given to us because our Jesus went to the cross 
and earned that rest for us by doing all the work and conquering all our enemies. So there's a sense in which we who do not feel completely at home here, uh, that we don't feel completely, even in our home, that things are not as they ought to be. And I think everyone has a sense of this just isn't the way it ought to be. This isn't what we know we are supposed to have. It's your heart telling you that you're made for another home. You're made for a promised land. You're made for a true rest. And that's the true rest that we have through trusting in Jesus and following him and resting in his work and receiving the blessing of that eternal life. It doesn't come from your effort. It doesn't come from your work. It doesn't come from voting the right person into office. It doesn't come from working as hard as you possibly can. It only comes by God and his grace. And as long as we are here and as long as we are doing his work and as long as we're trusting in him and believing him, we do so receiving his blessings. What joy it is to, to, to gather together with brothers and sisters, to encourage one another. But as great as this is, it's temporal because our hearts are longing for our true home for our true promised rest. And until we're in glory, every blessing here will be only pointing to that blessing we receive in that final day. Would you please stand and let us declare what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.